You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. My name is Chris. And my name is Stephanie. And in this episode, we are discussing episode six of season four of Orphan Black, The Scandal of Altruism. We will talk about anything and everything that happened in that episode. However, there will not be any spoilers for future episodes. This episode was difficult. <laughs> yes, yes, that is a way to put it. But like you, like you mentioned, you know, if you think back to season three, episode three hundred six was probably one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult and saddest episodes of the season. So we were due. We were due for a little despair. I think. <laughs> yeah, I've actually taken a bit of a step back from social media this season. Part of it's just because I'm I'm so busy with podcast stuff. We've got enough podcasts going on right now <laughs> that I'm I'm swamped with stuff and have not been good about keeping current on all the social media stuff. So if they had promoted this one like they did for season three, I missed it, <laughs> which is a good thing because I was feeling anxiety the entire week leading up to the airing of 306. Because mm. they were like, it's a big episode. It's a big episode. You don't want to miss it. <laughs> And it was like horrible anxiety. And then it's like, yeah, I kind of figured something like that was going to happen. Mm -hmm. But I saw none of this coming. Right. <laughs> Which is good and bad, you know? I figured something bad was going to happen once we figured out kind of what the big plot line of the episode was when they, you know, here's what we're going to do. There's going to be a trade. I think at that moment you think, oh, this is not going to go smoothly. This is going to be bad for somebody. But I was not sure about what was going to happen exactly and that it would ultimately would be Kendall who was killed. Yeah, I think all of the feelings can be kind of summed, summed up by this email that we got from Stephen, sent the day after the thing aired, of course. Quote, I think the only reaction I can have to last night's episode is, oh my god. That was the entirety of the email I should mention. <laughs> <laughs> Succinct and accurate, Stephen. Thank you for your email. So let's dive into some of the plot lines in this episode. Obviously, the big one is this big trade that they had uh, going on. And and it, you were similarly concerned, though, right? As soon as we saw the trade start to get into into motion, little pieces lining up, you're like, oh, crap, something bad's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, why else do it if you're writing a TV show? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and every time they feel like they can get into bed with somebody kind of connected to the Lita project. It just ultimately turns out poorly. It's true. And I mean, I was suspicious as soon as they were like, here, we'll provide you with a hard drive. Mm -hmm. Just alarm bells. Yeah. And that gives me questions. The fact that it was Ira who went and got the, the hard drive to give to Susan Duncan. Because... Ultimately, the fact that that hard drive contained a Trojan or some kind of virus that erased all of Scott and Kasima's data, it really played into Evie's plan. She who is trying to destroy the Lita project. Right. But since Ira was the one who got the hard drive, does it have any larger implications? Is he secretly an ally to Evie? Or was it just that, like, Susan wanted to destroy her their data and didn't realize it would play into Evie's plan? That's the thing. I have no idea. I'm or or Susan was trying to play dumb, maybe, about the fact that, oh, I have no idea what Evie is up to, and she really did. Does that make sense though? Not really. I don't really <laughs> like that option. Okay. I'm just putting it out there. There are options. Right, right, sure. I'm not sure they all make sense, but we'll see. And here we were concerned too because of Kendall's leukemia. 
but it turns out that was actually kind of beneficial in this episode. Right, we still don't have a firm answer as to how it might affect a gene therapy. I'm I'm still curious about that. But I liked how it was brought into this episode as a plot element, as a way for them to give them Lita begrudgingly, but not give them access to the caster pathogen. Which I thought was also very clever. That That's another thing that this show just does so well, is they plant these little seeds of things and then make them useful or relevant or something in interesting ways mm-hmm. that totally make sense, but are things that you never would have thought of. Right, because I think, you know, for a lot of people, the first thought when we heard about Kendo's leukemia was, oh, how is that going to affect Kasima making a gene therapy? And in this episode, it's used in a completely different way. What do we think about the fact that they were going to, or that they were going to give Susan access to Lita, but not Castor? I don't know that I have any specific thoughts on that, do you? I just, I thought it was interesting and smart. And actually, I kind of, I wonder about Ira's reaction to it, just because here the Castor project was desperate to get their hands on Lita, because they thought the answer to the Castor problem would be found in Lita's genetic material. Mm -hmm. So I just, I'm... Curious about that, too, I guess. However, probably, even if Lita could be helpful in addressing the caster problem, having the original caster DNA would be even more helpful. So it's true. I, I could understand his his reaction. And and I also like the fact that they use the whole Kindle's leukemia, that that means we're not giving you caster, that then set up Ira to be this really nice fake out when it came to, like, ooh, who kidnapped Kindle? Because even though I was like, eh, is it really Ira? I was not anticipating Duco. So I thought that fake up, fake, fake out, excuse me, was set up quite nicely. Me too. I actually immediately assumed or immediately suspected Ira, like way before Sarah actually mentioned anything. <laughs> right. I was like sitting there waiting for Sarah to catch up. <laughs> mm-hmm. and then it was like, oh, it's not. And then I was racking my brain trying to figure out who it was, and I didn't even get to Duco before he showed up. Nope. It made total sense, but it did, yeah, didn't even occur to me. Yeah. I also was surprised how much I was affected by Kendall being killed in this episode for a very contrary, short-lived on the show character. I, I was surprised how much I was saddened by Kendall passing away. Me too, killed. but but at the same time, it's like they spent enough time of this episode with Kendall being more supportive and more kind than she's been in any previous episode that I was kind of like, I should have seen this coming. Because mm. she's very motherly towards Siobhan earlier in the episode. And, right. And like, she even comments on it, like, is everything okay? You're being nice. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I feel like I should have seen it coming, but. Well, I think this season she has been a less angry, more sympathetic character. It's true. But yes, you are correct. Particularly in this episode, she was at her her most sympathetic. <sighs> Should have seen it coming. <laughs> but yeah, it did. Like, it hurt surprisingly much. And there's that whole... Because she's being very protective of the clones and saying, tell your sisters I'm proud to have been part of them all. And then I'm crying. I might be crying a little still. <laughs> well, and and I think part of the reason that scene was so good and so effective was the fact that Cosima was there, that she was the clone who was there when Kendall passed away. Because 
Because she was really the one, the first one who got past Kendall's crusty exterior at the end of season three when she came to draw blood. You know, she was the first mm-hmm. one who really got a softer, kinder side of Kendall. So there was already a little bit of a bond there between the two of them. And then Kasima is affected by Kendall's death in such a specific, you know, potentially everything is lost type of way. I think that's part of the reason why that scene worked so well was because Kasima was there. It would have worked well if Sarah was there or Mrs. S was there, but I think Kasima actually was the perfect person to be there. That's a good point. It would have been personal in a different way if it was Sarah or Mrs. S, but exactly. I kind of feel like maybe it's better that it wasn't. So yes. yeah, I, I agree with you. And I'm wondering if the writers in this episode are sowing a seed for more conflict between Sarah and somebody she loves, because clearly we've seen throughout the season, the, Sarah's relationships with people becoming tense, because the stakes, I think, got raised for her with the maggot bot. And now in this episode, she goes around Mrs. S to plan this whole trade thing, and Kendall ends up being killed as a consequence of it. At the same time, I don't know, because they did make it pretty clear that Sarah went to Kendall with it, and Kendall agreed to it. So yeah. not that that means there won't be some sort of strife between Sarah and Mrs. S, because they could always go that route, too. But It also, I don't know that it's going to necessarily be some earth-shattering, relationship-breaking thing, because Mrs. S was also involved in the whole operation, even though she was not happy about doing it. She did help. Right. But I, I do wonder if they're sowing seeds for some potential rift there as well. I hope not. Me too. <laughs> I want the Mrs. S. Sarah Felix little little family unit to, to come back together. Kira too, please. I mean, just all of them. Eh. It was very sweet they, when Mrs. S. and Felix had a little moment where they had the little conversation about Adele, where she told him, you know, once this is all over, I want you to bring Adele back. I want everybody to be here for Kendall, essentially. Well, let me let me pitch another idea here. What if this just brings them closer together? That would be great. <laughs> I mean, I'm perhaps being too optimistic here, but I feel like there's been enough familial strife, even in this episode, that maybe this would be a good point to have them all come back together to support one another, since they've all experienced this loss together, you know? Yeah. Especially since it does also affect the the clone sisters, so... I don't know. I'm just putting it out there and trying to make myself feel better, really. (laughs) I understand. I understand. But all of this leads up to Evie Cho emerging as the the new big bad of the season. (sighs) How do we feel about that? (laughs) I did find that found that whole confrontation between her and Kasima very chilling. Yeah. So it it worked for me because and I think it was important they included this line. There was a line in there and I think it was Evie who said it. That talked about how Neolution, the idea, doesn't really belong to one person. So even though, you know, Aldous Leakey's been killed, Diet's essentially dead, she still can emerge as a threat because Neolutionism is just an idea. It's not necessarily concentrated in one particular or two particular people. Which I think is something the, the show's done well about exploring this idea of ideas and how different people interpret them and and Mm -hmm. how they take them and run with them in different directions or with their own perspectives. They they did it in the first two seasons with Prolethians. And so, yeah, now we're seeing it with Neolution too. Right. But yeah, Evie Cho got creepy this episode. (laughs) She really did. The part that really stuck out to me was when she was 
telling Cosima that I can't remember the exact line, but she says essentially that history will call her a pioneer. Mm-hmm. And I, I was struck by that line in particular because it came across my Twitter feed at some point recently, a link to an article where the, the headline was something like J. Marion Sims, who is called the father of gynecology, hero or villain. And it was talking about, you know, all the really dastardly things that he did to it was basically he performed experimental surgeries on on female slaves to learn what he was able to learn about women's reproductive systems and and female anatomy and that helped launch this field of gynecology so it's like yes some good came out of it but oh my god that's terrible what he did (laughs) right which is another reoccurring theme in the show i mean even Mm -hmm. in this episode earlier and it's kind of a throwaway line, but Crystal even talks about how, I mean, I'm against animal testings, you know, a human is too far, something like that, which, I mean, it's the same kind of idea, right? The testing on one person, which one person or one animal or whatever, which is horrible for that one person or animal or whatever, but also gives you all this information that could potentially help more people. So... Right. Calling back to what Rachel ultimately said she's willing to do with Charlotte, you know, letting her disease run its course. That's more valuable data than saving Charlotte's one life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Chilling implications with all of it. I think I thought particularly of J. Marion Sims because of the the carriers and what we've seen her doing with exploiting women and and that sort of thing. Yeah. Good point. But yeah, it is something like throughout history. We did get an answer in regards to Evie's scar <laughs> yes. in this episode with the, the flashbacks to Beth. And and yeah, we were right. Beth Beth was responsible. <laughs> and how, right? <laughs> and how. And of course, with the reveals of this episode, it's like, go Beth. <laughs> yeah. Hit her more. Darn it, Duco. <laughs> right? Oh. I actually thought that exchange was really interesting between Beth and Duco with the... Uh, don't make me shoot a cop and don't make me. Mm-hmm. Though I do wonder if that is when Beth ultimately decided to go home and kill herself. Why not just let Duco shoot her? Hmm. Maybe because she wanted the chance to board MK and like maybe destroy the Brightborn car. Right. I do think there's a measure of needing to actually think about it before doing anything. So fair. Yeah. Cause I think we did see that with Beth sort of taking a moment as she's washing her hands and uh, I mean speaking of of Beth and killing herself I mean that's like just when you thought it couldn't possibly hurt more like that's it's somehow more heartbreaking now damn it show (laughs) they're trying to give us an answer here right as to why Beth killed herself she was trying to protect Cosima, Allison, MK people in her life who she loved that computes. I think, you know, before personally, we'd been leaning towards, okay, did just the stress of dealing with all of this finally get to her? I was not necessarily expecting this angle, but it makes sense. Exactly. Which is, again, like this show is just really good at doing this kind of thing, where you think you kind of have a handle on it. Everything before had indicated that this just broke Beth and she couldn't do it anymore. And I feel like in a sense that's still true, but also that's not the primary motivation. Like, she did it to save everyone else. Yes. I think if she had been sharing what she was going through more, 
with Allison and Kasima and, and potentially other people, she m- might not have made the decision to kill herself. Well, it's, it's one of those things, though, because if she had shared more, potentially that would have put everybody else in greater danger, like right. the danger they're in now. <laughs> but because she'd kept it all to herself, that made it a quote-unquote viable option, if you will. As horrible as that is to say. And that leads me to a question about the ending of this episode where we see Duco and Evie and whomever not kill Kasima. They seem to just leave her. And yet there's this implication that because Beth knew as much as she did, that she and everybody she loved could be scrubbed. That's an interesting point. Because we know that steps had been taken to make a Helsinki situation out of these clones at the beginning of season three, but they called it off, but they called it off through shady means. Yeah. So yeah, I guess there is that question now of why aren't they doing that now? Cause they even, they had that menacing shot, you know, where they are focused on the gun that Duco has as he walks toward Kasima and then he steps around her. Of course there was the conversation that, Ferdinand was having with Sarah as Rachel, right? Where he was talking about how basically Cosima's illness was going to take Cosima out. They, I think they weren't concerned about Cosima specifically. Mm-hmm. That's fair. And especially if they think they just killed Kendall and all of her chances of making some sort of cure. Right. I mean, I guess that's... She would die anyway. I guess that's the answer right now is the Lita clones don't necessarily pose the threat they once did. I guess, since Evie's goal seems to be to make the Lita project irrelevant, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that seems to be what she wants in this episode. So potentially without those answers, I guess Sarah and Helena would be the big threat right now, right? Yes, because they are not going to die from the clone disease. Right. But at the same time, they don't have a 100% guarantee that all of the clones will. I mean, I guess it seems likely, but there could be more clones out there like Sarah and Helena who are fertile, who, you know, there was some sort of misstep in whatever they tried to do to make the clones infertile that is causing the clone disease. But jumping back to what we saw of Beth in this episode, we saw that confrontation between her and Susan Duncan, which was pretty darn interesting. She, meaning Susan, alluded to something being off with Beth's father. Do we think she was alluding to him being abusive? That's kind of what it sounded like, though we really, I mean, that's a lot of us reading into it, I, I, I suppose, because there's not, there's not anything specifically mentioned, just talking about screening for those kinds of things. So whether it's his behavior or perhaps some sort of illness or something. I mean, I don't know. Because if he was abusive, I think that would explain the question as to, you know, where are Beth's parents? It's true. I wonder if we'll get answers about that. And what do you think about what Susan was saying about caring for Beth and her intentions toward the Lita project? Do you think she was being truthful or was she just trying to save herself? I don't know. I have questions about that too. I tend to think from what we see in this episode it's more true than it's not, but I don't really know. I mean, I, I have no no solid basis for that that feeling. 
Other than the fact that Susan, at this point, seems less threatening than Evie Cho. <laughs> yeah. And I think we also have the groundwork laid in the previous episode where she did, she did know all of the clones. She knew them almost all by sight. That says to me that there was an element of interest and caring for them as individuals rather than just an expendable project, if that makes sense. That's true. There was that line she says to... Was it Sarah or Mrs. S in this episode? She says, with a sense of wonder, even, she says, they're all so different. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm inclined to believe what she was telling Beth. But I agree with you that we, we don't know enough about her to really judge her character truly. Because at what, you know, at what point is it a sort of, like, a maternal sense? And at what point is it scientific curiosity, you know? Right. I don't know. It feels like it's all intertwined there. But I saw it in what she was saying to Beth there, a similarity between her and Leaky, who I think also seemed to show interest and concern and care for the clones as individuals, but still a strong interest of the, in them as scientific subjects. Yeah, I guess that's really the big question, right? Is like, where does one overtake the other? Okay, I have a question for you. Okay, go for it. At the end of this episode, like the climax of the episode is the flashback to Beth, and then we get flashbacks within the flashbacks, and how did you feel about that sequence? <laughs> I didn't love it, but it was okay. I haven't minded the flashbacks to Beth, because it's giving us new information about a character whom we knew very little about. But especially when they flashed back to what had happened earlier in this same episode, I was like, calm down, guys, calm down. Because <laughs> you and I have had this discussion several times about the flashbacks to things that happened earlier in the episode or, or a couple episodes before. And generally, I am completely against them. <laughs> yeah, I think it worked to an extent that we, they were trying to convey what all was going through Beth's mind right before she left the house to go kill herself. Exactly. But yeah. I still could have done with, instead of the flashback to her talking to Evie in the limo, they could have just brought in the audio and that would have been fine. That's fair. Watching it the first time, I was not a fan. Rewatching it, I kind of got to a point where I was okay with it. I do think it might have worked better if they'd stuck to audio only instead of flashing back to clips, because we don't necessarily need to see it, but we do kind of need to see Beth, you know, since the whole idea is it's a flashback montage in Beth's head, which is why I got to the point where I was like, okay, I will, I will accept this flashback we'll montage. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I think when, when we saw that scene with her and Evie in the limousine, when Evie tells her, you know, you'd be better off killing yourself, like turning the gun on yourself than killing me. I think a savvy viewer, like that would click a little switch on in your brain, like, oh, that's why. Right. And I mean, it did. But I'm not opposed to seeing Beth later with the flashback montage. But yeah, it's not, strictly speaking, necessary. Speaking of the flashback montage, it was significant to me that they included that moment where Beth is hugging MK. And she tells her, look after the others for me or something like that. Mm -hmm. I am hoping, I am hoping, I am hoping that that is a hint to MK having information that could potentially make this whole situation with Kasima seem less hopeless, that she might know something or have kept something that could be useful in Kasima finding a, a cure that's maybe me grasping at straws. But 
I, I do think that they included that flashback for a reason. And so I, I'm curious to see MK come back into the storyline and how she might be used. Okay, here's a thought. Okay. Don't don't crush my spirit, Chris. I've had enough of that this week. No, no, this is this is me expanding on this thought that you okay, had. Okay, thank you. Because we know that MK is a hacker, the hard drive, the Brightborn hard mm. drive is still in play. Mm. I assume they it does actually still contain a copy of their research. I mean, I don't know, but I would assume it does. And at this point, that's the only thing that remains, right? Because Sarah bleached all of the samples from Kendall. So this is it. It's all on that hard drive. There's nothing left on Scott and Cosima's system. In the same vein, when Dizzy was looking through MK's hard drive a little while ago, he saw that she, that MK had been tracking Sarah and was getting all this information about Sarah. Maybe MK also went from Sarah to Kasima, and maybe she has a copy of Kasima's research from Kasima's computers. It could be. I'm just saying, even if she doesn't, she could still somehow, like, hack into the Brightborn, Neolution, whatever. I like it. And access it that way. Potentially. I mean, that still leaves them without resources that they need to develop a cure quickly, but maybe then it wouldn't be completely hopeless. Right. It's a setback, but not necessarily permanent. Yes. I'm curious to see if we get any more flashbacks to Beth, because I won't go so far as to say I'm disappointed because the season hasn't played out yet, but I am surprised we haven't gotten more substantial Beth flashbacks as yet. Mm. Hmm. And this episode kind of seemed to wrap that up, the, the Beth flashback situation. Well, I don't know, because it feels like maybe, and this is just pure speculation, We've always known the end of Beth's storyline. At the beginning mm -hmm. of the season, we got something a few months before that. Is it possible that we are working towards the center of the storyline? Because that's really what is missing for me at this point. Because I, I suppose we don't really need to see how Beth got where she was. Essentially, she got, you know, to Evie, who then pointed her at Susan. But it is unclear to me how she got from like A to B and B mm -hmm. to C. Because we still don't know how she got to Sammy. Because mm -hmm. there seemed to exactly. actually be a bit of a relationship there with Sammy because they talked several times. I think she flew to meet him at some point, right? Yeah, I think at least once, if not a couple of times she flew to Ohio. So we know about that, but I think it might be interesting to actually see some of it maybe. But I don't know. Because given what we saw or learned in this episode that – you know, Beth somehow got to Evie Cho, who then pointed her at Susan. You know, it could have been once Evie Cho saw her at Dyad, Evie just called her up and was like, hey. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that actually happened, but that that could have happened. Right. Um, <laughs> but instead, we have these little breadcrumbs. Like, she, apparently, she traced the maggot box to the dentist. And then somehow she got from the dentist to Brightborn. And that's presumably where she kind of cooked up with Evie Cho. Uh, but what happened in the middle there, it's less clear. Again, given that we've got four episodes left, I'm inclined to think that we're not done with the flashbacks. Because it also feels like we could see Trina again. Right. True. I don't know that we need to, but it feels like they're, they could do more with her. Right, because we did get information from Trina about where Beth had been before. So it would be interesting to see more about, because we know that Beth knew about the carriers, but what did she know? Yeah. That's a good point. I did have a moment, though, 
after seeing this episode and the reveal of the, about the connection between like Duco and Evie Cho, even though we knew we were, he was connected to the, to the Neolutionist before, you know, it did kind of seem like, oh, how convenient that the Neolutionist guy got paired up with, with Beth when she had the, the shooting. But it makes more sense to me now because the shooting didn't happen until after Beth had gone to Dyad. I could see at that point Evie Cho maybe doing a little research and like calling up Duco and being like, hey, you need to keep an eye on this person. She's been asking questions at Dyad. Evie says hey a lot in your in your head cannons. <laughs> she just calls up people and says hey all the time. Is what I'm hearing. I might be focusing on the wrong thing though. I don't know. <laughs> that makes sense though, right? <laughs> hey. Besides Evie's phone manner. <laughs> uh, speaking of Evie's manners, she has terrible bedside manner. Oh, you're talking about when she was all blamey to Sarah when she was removing the maggot? Yes. <laughs> She's like, I'm taking this thing out and it might be and it might kill you, but it's your fault. <laughs> it's not helping, Evie. <laughs> but you know who was helping this episode? Kasima. Kasima had totally had Sarah's back in this episode. She did. I like seeing Sarah and Kasima work together, and this was a good Sarah Kasima episode. It's true. Because not only did Kasima have her back when she was like, I'm going to be the assistant on this procedure, not the Afrikaans speaking paramedic lady. They still haven't said her name. That character has a name. I saw it on IMDb, but I don't think they've ever they said, said it. They said it last episode. Wasn't it Roxy or something? Yes, it's yeah. Roxy. They said it last episode. Okay, I missed that part. It was either Evie or Susan said it. It was real fast, and I missed it the first time, but I caught it the second time. But so not only did Kasima do that, like step in and then, you know, plug the little poison leaking hole thing in the procedure. Which I actually think Evie caused, but I could be wrong. It yeah, looked like I she wouldn't did. be surprised. But then she also stole back the maggot bot after Evie took it, which made me happy because I was like, don't let her t- let, don't let her keep that, guys. Come on. <laughs> that should have been part of the deal. <laughs> right? Because Evie's a lying liar. So don't trust her with that. Find out for yourselves what it actually did. Yes. So it made me happy that Kasima thought to steal it back. Yeah, Kasima, you go. Indeed. Which then makes me think at the end of this episode, it's your turn, Sarah. Kasima had your back this week. What are you going to do to fix this? I know it's not really Sarah's fault, but still, what are you going to do, Sarah? Actually, when Sarah was leaving Brightborn, I tweeted, Sarah, why are you leaving? The buddy system works, people. (laughs) I know. Stay with Kasima. So now I'm completely convinced, especially given the rest of the episode, I am completely and utterly convinced that Clone Club just needs to institute a buddy system rule. They do. And honestly... Alita should not be another Lita's buddy. They need a non-Lita buddy. Maybe that's true. We actually might have enough people that that can happen now, too. Now that Art and Donnie and Mrs. S and Benjamin, Felix. Come on, everybody. Scott needs to be Kasima's buddy. True. I mean, I know I know why they were split up here, because Scott had to go do the thing, the aspirating over at <laughs> Felix's apartment. But they need to be buddies. Because did you see that lovely scene between the two yes, of them? Yes, I did. I watched the epi- the entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> it made me get a little choked up. Just that really sweet moment between the two of them when they were about to turn over their research to to Evie and to, to Susan Duncan, where, where Scott, Scott looks at her and says, you know, we would have cracked it if we'd had more time. Yeah. And they mentioned Shay. Like, finally, Shay gets mentioned. They did. I like Scott's line about, well, Shay was just a rebound. So it's like one and one and a half, one and three quarters tops relationship. <laughs> Poor Shay. So not only was Kasima there when 
her progenitor and ostensibly all hope she has at finding a cure for her disease when that person was killed. But then seconds later, Evie tells her that Delphine was shot and killed. So way to crush Cosima and me, show, and a lot of people, I'm sure. Kicking everybody when they're down. And Crystal also brought up Delphine, saying that she saw Delphine get shot. But I remain absolutely unconvinced that Delphine is dead, which might make me delusional. But what do you think? I do not think you're delusional, and here's why. Because I was discussing this with somebody else already. Okay. Here's my reasoning. We don't hear Crystal say that she's dead. I know. She said she saw her get shot. Exactly. And here's the thing. Narratively, why would you have Crystal be witness to it if she's not going to provide any new or different information? I suppose, theoretically, she could just be there to confirm what Evie Cho says, but I really don't think that's where this is going. I really don't either. It would be very unorphan blacky, I think, if they just had... Delphine get shot and die, no witnesses. I just don't think they would go that route. Well, I mean, clearly they haven't, because Crystal apparently was witness to it, whatever it was that happened. But Well, you know what I mean. Like <laughs> I'm I, I mean witnesses, I guess, as in us as the audience. Like have her die and the audience not see it. Mm, okay. But yeah, I mean, Evie Cho is not a reliable person. No. Nobody's trusting her to tell the truth here, so yeah, I'm I'm convinced that Crystal has more information to tell us. Because again, why would you have her tell us that she saw it? <laughs> and then like that's the last we see or hear of Crystal in this episode. So there has to be something in the next episode. There just has to be. It doesn't make sense that they would include that without something further. I I agree. That felt like a little a little breadcrumb that they're then going to follow up yeah. on in in future episodes. I also, and this ties back to why did they let Cosima live, even though Evie Cho has kind of given the finger to Susan Duncan. You know, like Susan Duncan has pointed out that Cosima is, you know, very bright, very intelligent. Cosima and Scott, their research was invaluable. They'd made the most progress. And Cosima credits Delphine as to the progress that she has made. So it seems like if they're really, if Susan Duncan really wants to reboot Lita, that Delphine and Cosima would be assets to her. It's true. But I know. Evie Cho, given the finger to Susan Duncan, so <laughs> she might just kill whomever because it would kill off Project Lita. But the, I also have that thought, too. It's like, they would be valuable. Maybe they shot Delphine and then took her and have been turning her into a cyborg. <laughs> and Delphine <laughs> will reemerge late in the season as a cyborg. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I'm only half joking, sadly. <laughs> I know. I, that's not implausible. I know. <laughs> I'm just saying. The way things have been going this season. Hey, Stephanie and Chris, this is Sally. I still don't think Delphine is dead. Lots of reasons why, but the two main ones are it'd be too sad, and Cosima was too sad, and also Crystal said she saw everything. We didn't get to hear what she saw, so I think they're holding that back for the next episode, a big reveal. The big Delphine Cormier reveal. Well, just to touch on it up briefly, we had also had the storyline in this episode involving 
Crystal and Felix and Art, which clearly was there to provide some much-needed lighter moments in this very heavy episode. Thank goodness. I know. Thank goodness for Crystal and Felix. (laughs) I was, like, laughing with relief Uh (laughs) at one point as they're, you know, tending to poor Felix's maced eyes. Oh my goodness, poor Felix. (laughs) Which is also, like, I feel so bad for Felix, but I was just laughing because of relief. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I needed a break from the other stuff. So thank you, show. Yes, Orphan Black is very good at that. And that's something I appreciate. I so appreciate it. Dawson, who's been on this podcast before, who's your podcasting partner on the 100 episodes over on our other podcast, Finalysis. Plug away. Thank you. He wrote a post recently on, on I think it was Medium.com, talking about his fatigue with like grim, gritty, dark, all hope is lost type of science fiction and, mm-hmm. and fantasy shows. And I don't think, even though Orphan Black tackles some really dark stuff, I like that Orphan Black has never become that type of show. And it's stuff like this that really helps. That's like, okay, yes, we're giving you really hard, tough stuff, but we're going to give you these lighter moments, these sweeter moments mixed in there, too. Dawson posted that on uh, Tumblr, too. His his Tumblr is Geek Dawson, if anybody's interested in checking it out. But yeah, I I agree with him. I mean, I'm not into the grim, dark the stuff like the it just uh, it's so hard for me to watch i have watched a lot of it and i've pretty much always stopped watching it before the series ended just because i can't do it <laughs> right i just i get i get fatigued from it and so yeah i i love the way orphan black is structured that's why it's one of my favorite shows because i i need that i need that variation in tone i don't mind if you go dark but it needs to be countered with the light because otherwise, you know, what's the point <laughs> in in my mind? You know what I mean? I was pretty pleased to see Art and Crystal paired together. I thought they made a fun pair. But obviously things kept, kicked up a notch once Felix got there wearing his <laughs> event-specific outfit. <laughs> Felix does like... Does does love an event specific outfit? And it's been too long since he wore one. I I yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he had that fantastic, you know, Sherlock Holmes hat on because what did he say? Like inter- international intrigue needs better wardrobe or something like that. Forget the it line. Lacks but it lacks flair, is what he said. It lacks flair. That's what it was. <laughs> and his great coat. I thought that was a great coat. Like. <laughs> I would wear that coat. <laughs> Dear Stalker, that's what they call those. Oh, thank you. That's what the hat yeah. is, yeah. Uh, oh, Felix. And I loved when he arrived, that that exchange that Art and Crystal had about Scotland Yard. <laughs> <laughs> Which is from the yard. What yard? <laughs> I mean, isn't that something we've all thought as children? It's like, why is it called Scotland Yard? <laughs> yes. Which I did look up because it's something that I keep wondering and looking up and then forgetting the answer. Mm-hmm. So I looked it up again. Do you want to know? Yes, because I didn't look it up again and I don't remember either. <laughs> <laughs> so the original like London Metropolitan Police building, it had a rear entrance. This is so this is so tangential, but it had a rear entrance on a street called Great Scotland Yard. Oh. So the building became called Scotland Yard, and then that subsequently became just the name of the police division. Okay. It, yeah, it's so tangential. <laughs> <laughs> and and it was nice seeing Felix and, and Crystal again, and, Chris, and Felix's reference to, okay, Crystal, truth voice. I know. <laughs> That's still one of my favorite lines, I think, is, this, this is my truth voice. Yes. <laughs> 
Uh, and I did love the scene before that in the police station. Like, thank goodness Art was there because mm-hmm. he intercepted Duco and like steered him away from Crystal. <sighs> Though I gotta say, when when Tatiana Maslany is wearing the full long blonde wig, I don't know that a passing person would think that she was the same person as like Beth and Allison. Mm-hmm. I think she the blonde, the long blonde makes her look different enough that probably Duca wouldn't have noticed anything. But thank goodness Art was there. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's a matter of not running the chance that he might. Yeah. So No, I agree. I agree. But right after he kind of steered Duco clear and they were showing shots of Crystal, I'm like, you know, I think she looks different enough, especially and then probably the way that she does her makeup too, that that I think he probably wouldn't just be like, Oh, it's another one of you. Uh, but it was good that Art was there. Thank goodness Art is there. Yeah. Reliable Art. But what I thought was so fascinating was that Art seemed to recognize her from the sound of her voice. Because, mm. like, you hear in the distance Crystal talking, and he's like, wait a second. So, I don't know. Yeah. He did log quite a bit of, of phone time with Sarah and, you know, was partners with Beth, so that would make sense that he would recognize their voices. Right. Even if their speech pattern is completely different. <laughs> Very different. <laughs> and while I, I do enjoy seeing Crystal, I, I hope she will steer clear of the Harry situations from now on, now that Felix has told her that she's right about the cosmetic industry scandal and stem cells. And then lets the name Neil Lucian slip. <laughs> I know, Felix, you're just as bad as Donnie. <laughs> <sighs> at least he, I mean, he'd already gotten maced at that point. I was going to say, at least he didn't get punched and knocked out, but he'd already been maced, so he did not escape. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was also so cute how sweet Crystal was after she maced him. She was, like, stroking his hair and rubbing yeah. his knee. and Your poor skin. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I kind of like how sort of casually touchy Crystal is, which kind of makes sense, right? I mean, her her job as a manicurist, she's... Got her hands on strangers all day. I like that she introduced herself as a manicurist to Art when he was like, Art, Detective Art Bell. <laughs> Crystal Goddard, manicurist. Manicurist. <laughs> I love Crystal. Crystal's delightful. But I did have another question about, about Duco. They pointed out big time the fact that he was under Evie Cho's thumb for some reason. And he's had allusions to like keeping his family safe and telling Art to protect his family. So I'm super curious what Evie Cho has on Duco. Yeah. Time will tell. I don't know. I also have been struck by that name, Duco. It's so it's such a weird name. So I did try to do a Google search for it to see if it was supposed to be referring to anything, but I came up empty. But if any listeners have any thoughts, if the name is significant, please let me know. It just sounds good. Detective Duco. Duco. The only thing that I found, there's a weird urban dictionary entry for it. From like 2006. Correct me if I'm wrong, but all entries on Urban Dictionary are weird. Okay, fair. <laughs> there is a, a inscrutable entry for it on Urban Dictionary. I'll use another adjective. That's still pretty true. Still pretty true. <laughs> I can't talk. And, and But it didn't really, it was something to do with, it's like a, a, a made up language that's only adjectives or something like that. It was, it was not helpful. I don't know. And the only other entry I could find was something on like the Legend of Zelda Wikipedia type thing talking about a particular character who's actually a a woman in the Zelda universe. Anyhow, but I couldn't find anything else. Also, I'm curious now, and this is completely random, but does the information in this episode mean that perhaps Evie Cho was the one who developed Rachel's eye? Hmm, maybe. Since she seems to be the one behind the technical 
right aspects. And and Susan Duncan did call her the engineer. Exactly. Yeah. I also really liked that moment when Evie Cho and Cosimo were looking at the maggot bot, and you could just see the admiration and the fascination Cosima had with that thing. It was complicated and interesting, that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually keep thinking about this aspect of both Ethan and Susan Duncan have expressed such sort of admiration for Cosima that I just keep thinking about how here Rachel has spent this whole time being super jealous of Sarah thinking that Sarah is the child that they wanted, basically, or at least that's the implications of it. But she should be jealous of Cosima because Cosima seems to be the one that they wish was their child. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Because you mentioned the line she that Susan Duncan had, had about, oh, they're all so different. That was after she said that she wished Rachel was as inquisitive as Cosima. Exactly. Cosima's the science child they wish they had. <laughs> I also wanted to point out, in the conversation that Susan had with Beth, that she used that phrase, I'm invested, which is now, what, the third time we've heard somebody say that on this show? I believe so, yeah. At least. Because Marion Bowles said it. Whatever happened to Marion Bowles? I'm going to say it again. She said it to Sarah in the season two finale, and then Delphine said it to Leaky in the season two premiere. Mm-hmm. And again, like, I believe her that she's invested, but I, I just, I'm vaguely suspicious about in what sense is she invested? Yeah, what are her intentions, given her investment? Is she intellectually invested or emotionally invested? And is the emotional investment tied to the intellectual investment? I'm sure it is, but to what extent? (laughs) Am I thinking about it too much, Stephanie? No, I like it. I like it. Okay. I heard slash read Orphan Black mentioned a couple of places this week that I wanted to mention. Uh, First of all was an article that my friend Dr. Elizabeth sent me. It was on the Atlantic's website and they were talking about the article and was about the trend of like ordinariness of many recent sci-fi ventures where they're not taking place in these super futuristic fantastical worlds. They are taking place in a world that very much resembles the world that we live in and They name-checked Orphan Black in this article, but they talked about a lot of different sci-fi properties, sci-fi fantasy properties. So I really enjoyed it. I I recommend you go check it out. We'll put a a link to it in our show notes, but it's on the Atlantic, and I believe it's called The Future is Almost Now. So go check that out. And I also wanted to mention I was uh, a podcast that I listen to pretty regularly from Previously.tv. It's their flagship podcast called Extra Hot Great. And in the course of one of their discussions, a couple of them, well, one of them mentioned that they had given up watching Orphan Black, and the other one chimed in and said that he was close to it, but kind of hanging on because he really enjoyed Donnie. And the big complaint that they had about the show was that they felt like they were, the writers were adding too many layers to the conspiracy, and it was, it was just getting a little out of hand. And while I think that that is a, a fair criticism of the show, it, it does kind of feel like the whole organization structure has gotten a bit crazy and wonky. I personally am not particularly bothered by it because when it comes to like the conspiracy aspect of the show, like, yes, it provides some like interest and intrigue, but the reason I like it is because of the situations it creates for our characters. Mm -hmm. And so I especially appreciate, even though they sort of added another layer to the whole Neolution side of the things this season, I like that they did it by going back to the beginning and through, like, Beth's storyline. I thought that was a really smart move. Right. Since you mentioned Dawson earlier, Dawson actually also wrote a thing where he was talking about how this season feels a little subdued compared to last season, especially. 
And I think there's a certain amount of fairness to that statement. Like it, it feels a little quieter, I guess. I don't mind it though. No, I mean, that's what he was talking about. It was yeah. sort of like a lot of people seem to be enjoying this season more than last season. And I think it is one of those things. I, I think, I still think we n- maybe needed last season, but I do appreciate the development of this season that it's sort of taking a step back and going back a little bit in some sense to the beginning of the story. But it's also going back to the beginning of the story while having the main characters catch up to that, you know, where Beth was. So I'm enjoying it. And I actually don't think this is, I mean, I get what they're saying, but at the same time, I don't feel like it, I don't think it feels like it's too much because as we were talking about earlier, they pretty early on established that there are other branches of things. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there were, there was that group of Prolethians. And then the very next season, they introduced a new branch of Prolethians. So this direction doesn't feel weird to me, is what I'm saying. And, yeah. And at the end of season two, you know, there's that conversation between Cal and Mrs. S where he's talking about all the different companies and organizations that were connected to Dyad and et cetera. You know, this concept of topside, which is still kind of nebulous. I'm not entirely sure. I totally get it. But, and at the end of the day, I kind of say like, eh. It's fine. Like, at at the end of the day, for me, the show is about these women who are very, like, vibrant, compelling characters. It's about them trying to live the lives that they want to live and to remain autonomous and have control over their bodies. So the rest of this organizations and stuff, like, okay, fine, sure. If that's what we're using the season to explore that, fine, I'm on board. Mm -hmm. I agree. I did like hearing all the Donnie love from them, though, because, yeah, Donnie's great. But I just, like, how can you only be watching for Donnie? <laughs> no, I mean, nothing against Donnie. It's just like, there are so many great characters on this show. It just That's not exactly how he phrased it, but I think he was just saying that he really was enjoying the way that John- Donnie was being used in this season. Okay. I don't know. Okay, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, because I know they do really like Allison, too. She's always ranked as their favorite clone. <laughs> Maybe there isn't enough Allison for them this season. I was going to say, she wasn't in this episode, and nor- and we haven't seen Helena for a little bit. I miss Rachel. Helena so much. I want her to come back in a major way in, in the later part of season four. I miss Helena. Helena comes back in no other way. <laughs> True. Think about it. <laughs> You're correct. You're correct. It's She does not come back quietly, Helena. No. <laughs> she just, you know, snuck in and suddenly she's on Donnie and Allison's couch eating chips. Like, that's not gonna how it's going to happen. I mean, she might be eating some chips, but... <laughs> but she'd have a knife to somebody's throat or something at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We would love to hear your thoughts about this episode of Orphan Black, as well as this episode of the podcast. You can go and leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at tatianaiseveryone.com slash 105. You can send an email to feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. We also love getting voice messages. You can record a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to us, or you can call our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. We're on Twitter at TIE Podcast, and we're also on Facebook. Tatiana is everyone is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. You can find our other podcasts about Killjoys and Lost Girl and our new podcast, Phanalysis, on which we're currently covering... Winona Earp and The Hundred. You can find all of those over at AskGenreTV.com. In this episode, Felix's event specific outfit was played by Tatiana Maslani. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>